Welcome to episode 131 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Tamlin. She used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Tamlin, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Maybe you've heard some of these slogans. Easy does it. How important is it? Think. Let go and let God. Today we're going to talk about some of these slogans. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our experiences as they relate to the topic of slogans. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. And my name is Spencer, and I'll be your host today. Joining me is co-host Eric. How are you today, Eric? Pretty good, Spencer. A little drizzly and chilly here in Connecticut uh, this morning, but uh, that's to be expected for late November. Yeah, we got eight inches of snow yesterday. Oh, that, wow. That fun, heavy, wet kind of snow. Ah, uh, time for you to go shoveling. Well, I have a gratitude to this morning because I woke up and I looked out and discovered that the neighbor with whom I shared the driveway had plowed it. Wow. So, yeah, that was wonderful. Let go and let the neighbor. <laughs> I still am going to have to, you know, brush the eight inches of snow off my car and shovel around the car, but that's much better than the whole driveway. <laughs> but yes, I did leave extra time this morning for shoveling. I knew it was going to happen. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of a few of the Al-Anon slogans. Following a short break, we'll talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. I have a reading. This is from Chapter 9 in the book How Al-Anon Works. Chapter 9 is titled Appropriately Slogans. And this comes from the beginning of the chapter. Unlike some of Al-Anon's practices and principles that take a while to learn and apply, the Al-Anon slogans are easy to learn and remember. You may have heard some of these slogans hundreds of times before without ever taking them seriously or trying to put them to work. After all, they are cliches and easy to disregard, but it is their very simplicity that makes them so powerful. When confronted with a confusing or upsetting situation, a slogan can be a lifesaver. If we are at a loss for what to do, these simple yet profound sayings can clarify our thinking. For example, when fears about the future cloud our ability to make a pressing decision, we can apply the slogan one day at a time and focus on this day only, remembering that our fears may not reflect reality because the future has yet to be written. When suddenly faced with a complex, seemingly overwhelming problem, we can put first things first, knowing that some actions are more important than others and that we cannot do everything at once. What was your sort of take on the slogans when you first uh, came to the program? You know, I think like a lot of people, they really meant nothing to me. They seemed too trite and uh, just, I, I didn't think anything of them. Uh, they they were barely noticeable to me until uh, I went to meeting after meeting after meeting in various places and saw them again and again and again and thought, you know what, there might be something to this. <laughs> they seem to all put these little two, three, four word sentences displayed prominently on all the tables. So started paying attention to them and 
the one, because I was just such a basket case when I came in, uh, the only one I could sort of get any kind of use out of was let go, let God. I didn't even understand what it meant, but I would repeat it hundreds and hundreds of times a day and didn't use it, I don't think, as it was intended. Used it more as a, a speed bump to slow down my thinking and just concentrate on something else, anything else, than the 50 conversations that were going on in my head. Yeah, I, I think I had a similar sort of thought, like, these are just, as it said in the reading, these are just little cliches. They don't really mean anything. Uh, they're too simple. They're too simple for the things that are happening in my life. And right. it turned out what I needed was some simplicity. And, yeah. and as you, I first latched on to let go and let God, except I wasn't so sure about the let God part. So I started with just let go, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, letting go of my desire, my need, if you will, to control, try to control my loved one's drinking and to try to run whatever recovery she might have. And since she was in and out of a number of recovery programs over the years, that was a challenge. I I don't know what really clicked that for me. I think I picked up the book, How Al-Anon Works, maybe at my second meeting. Might have. I don't think I had got it at my first meeting. I don't think I had the money with me at my first meeting. But I picked it up and I and I started reading it and I think I really had at that point accepted my powerlessness, even though maybe I wasn't admitting it. And if I was powerless, then the things that I tried to do to control uh, her drinking were were clearly not helpful. And if I could not do it, um, maybe I'd feel a little better. And who knows, maybe you know she'd hit a bottom and... and Go fix herself. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I I did pick that slogan up. I actually, at the time, I had a you know one of the old style cell phones that uh, just had a little bitty text display on the front where maybe you display the number, and it had room to type in a line of text, not a very long line of text, and that would show up on the screen. And every time I looked at it, it said "Let go," and I looked at it many times a day because I was also using it basically as my clock, my wristwatch. I didn't have a, I don't, I don't wear a watch anymore now that I have a phone that always tells me what time it is. And so I was reminded many times a day to let go. And that helped. It really did. And any further thoughts on let go and let God, how, how it might've helped in your early recovery? I don't know how it helped me other than to just have something other than my thoughts to think about. You know, this is when times were at the very worst, living separately from my family, overwhelmed with anxiety and fear and a paralysis, paralysis of powerlessness. And so just the repetitious use of it was more of a mantra just to slow myself down. You know, what it has come to mean to me is very, very different. Mm-hmm. I can't let go of the steering wheel and, and expect God to drive my car. <laughs> And and I also needed to use that slogan of letting go and letting God because I can't drive the car in front of me. What I can do is let go of my frustration and anger about the traffic and the fact that the driver in front of me is going too slow or, or driving poorly and turn it over and, and realize that I can't make him drive any better or faster. 
I heard something funny somebody said was, you know, uh, when I'm late, everybody is driving too slow. So I need to let go of that. that that's just a fact. And uh, not let it ruin my serenity and not let it, uh, you know, take away my serenity because that's another favorite of mine. The slogan is, how important is it and is it worth my serenity? Mm-hmm. And when there's nothing I can do about it, it is just not that important. And I will, you know, I try to not let it take the serenity I've found in this program. The other part of let go, let God, which is, you know, I think a lot of newcomers, for whatever reason, grasp that slogan first. What it's come to mean to me is a little bit different, which is not just let go and let God, but it is to do the absolute best I can do, using the tools, reaching out, doing a reading, thinking, pausing, to consider my choices and then do making a decision or taking an action that's the, the best possible action I feel I can take, and then letting go of the outcome. And that, for me, has been liberating. Letting the outcome be God's work. Doing the best I can and then letting go of the outcome was what that now has come to me. To me. You know, I hadn't thought of that slogan in that sense. It is something that I do. Do the best I can and then and then let go of the outcome because I can't do any more. But I hadn't connected it back to that slogan, so thanks for that. Yeah, well, another person, just to, to close on another thought, other people have told me was, you know, they viewed that slogan with a little bit of hostility or, or frustration in that they thought it meant giving up, doing nothing. And, you know, I understand that, throwing your hands up, giving up and surrendering. That, that's part of it. For me, it has come to mean, you know, that I'm going to, I'm still going to do the best I can, but then I will let go of the outcome. So that, in summary, is where I I've ended up uh, with my use of that tool. Yeah. I think if, if you look at the serenity prayer, you know, the first part is the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And, yep. and that's a really critical part of, of the slogan, let go and let God. Um, but there is the third part, which is the wisdom to know the difference. And I think that comes into this notion of doing the best that we can uh, before we let go of the rest of it. Uh, in other words, the changing the things we can and then, and then accepting the things we can't. And you mentioned the slogan, how important is it? And you mentioned it uh, in one context. How important is this to my serenity? Is it worth breaking my serenity over over something. Uh, when I first started using that slogan, I used it sort of in a different way. I, I think the end result was, yes, I was more serene. But for me, one of the symptoms of our mutual family disease was that we would get into really, I won't say vicious, but definitely uh, vociferous arguments about trivial stuff where she would assert something and I would say, no, you're wrong. And this is why and blah, 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 blah. And then she would come back at me. And, uh, I'm sure that, um, you may have had the experience of trying to, uh, argue with somebody who's been drinking and is under the influence of alcohol and, and understand maybe from a distance, the futility of doing so. But, it seemed very important to do that at the time. And so when I would find myself in a position to 
pick up the rope as uh, as our one of our expressions has it you know it takes two to do a tug of war if you don't pick up the rope you you don't engage um, when I would find myself in a position to pick up the rope of an argument, I could ask myself, how important is this? Is it really important that, no, it was really November of 1985 and not October of 1985 that a particular thing happened? How important is that? And the answer is typically not. Uh, not at all. But that was the sort of argument that, that I could I would start at the drop of a hat. And so with asking myself, how important is this? Is this something that's really worth taking the time and the energy and the effort and generating the ill will and, and losing serenity, as you say, although I don't think I thought of it that way. I could, I could ask myself that question and then keep my mouth shut. Or not, if it really was important. I could start, uh, as you say, at the drop of a hat. I could start an argument at the drop of a leaf. And the reason I use that uh, at reference to a leaf is it just takes me back to something. I may have even shared this on another episode where early, uh, probably with no recovery, you know, I had my nose shoved into mud and the dirt so many times by my qualifier with inconsequential things. And the example that comes to mind among thousands, I, I care not to remember, were, uh, you know, the fact that her life was in such disarray and chaos and absolute mess. And I one day exploded and you know, let her have it, as I put it, and pointed out all of her shortcomings. The fact that, you know, it started actually with her complaining that I had left a sock on the floor. Uh, and, you know, boy, that was like somebody lighting a fuse uh, on my cannon because I just couldn't take it. I let it all out. And I said, your, your, your side of the street is covered in, in uh, mayhem, chaos, death, uh, destruction, blood, vomit. Your, your physical space, your room is an entire disaster. Your car is dirty. It's full of junk and cups. And, and you point out the leaf. You have the nerve to point out the leaf on my side of the street, referring to the sock. And I really let her have it. Well, as you can imagine, that conversation didn't end too well. Yeah, uh, it ended. It ended ended very briefly. Uh, before I was finished, I saw the back of her head, and the door was slammed, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And I later had a conversation. I guess I did have a sponsor at that point. I had a sponsor from pretty much day one. I think someone took pity on me at a meeting and said, "Call me." <laughs> uh, <laughs> here's my card. I called him and I said, you know, she really deserved that. You know, how dare she point out the leaf on my side of the street when her side of the street is, is just absolute carnage. And I let her have it. Don't you think she deserved that? I mean, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And after a long pause, he said to me, I think you should pick up your leaf. <laughs> Sounds like a sponsor. I don't think I ever forgave him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can you, now. You bastard. <laughs> He was right. He was absolutely right. So how important is it? Uh, it also makes me think about the, slo- the not a slogan, but a saying I've heard quite often, which is that urgent things are seldom important, and important things are seldom urgent. And when I can remember that, I can put into perspective what someone else thinks is urgent. Usually is not. Important things are planned. They're talked about in advance. Uh, yeah, there's certainly times that something is urgent. Someone needs to be taken to the hospital. 
But, you know, with my qualifier, uh, and I think alcoholics and addicts in general, uh, their version of urgency is, uh, you know, there's no milk for my cereal. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, someone go. We have to get there. It's going to close. <laughs> you know, have a piece of toast. How about that? I found this reading that I referred to earlier about the the tug of war. And um, I think it's on about page 30 or so of the paper edition of how Al-Anon works. I'm looking at the Kindle version, so I don't have page numbers. And it starts, it's as if we were holding one end of a rope and an alcoholic grabbed the other end and started to tug. Most of us would react automatically. We would tug back. It never occurs to us that we don't have to play. If we knew we had options, we might choose to drop the rope. There is no tug of war unless both players hang on to their ends. Dropping the rope means recognizing the pattern and choosing not to play the same part anymore. We notice the provocative behavior and we notice exactly what we do in response. And uh, and that's that's a sort of um, recognition that uh, asking how important is it can really help me to recognize and to not play the same part the next time or this time that I played last time, uh, not get into that tug of war that inevitably ends up with me in the mud pit. I think that my, my sponsor again and again comes back to saying, apply the serenity prayer. Is this really something that is mine? Yep. Is it something that is not, which is someone else's? And and then, you know, the, the wisdom to know the difference gives me a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, your version of you know, pick up the rope, I have another that I've heard often, which is take the bait. Mm-hmm. The bait is dangled all over the place. I used to, you know, reference my qualifier pulling into the station on the crazy train. Yeah. And trying to tempt me to get on board, you know, with all kinds of provocative uh, reasons to jump on the train and take a ride and standing in the station and watching those doors close and pull away is very, very relieving to be able to do that. And just to say, I got no dog in this fight mm-hmm. and move on and let it go. And you referenced again the serenity prayer, which is a, a key tool here. And the wisdom to know the difference is sometimes not obvious. Right. Uh, and one of one of you know there's a there's a number of slogans I think that relate to finding that wisdom and how important is it is one of them another one is think mm-hmm. one sentence from how Alanon works in in chapter nine in the section about think it says one of the effects of alcoholism is that most of us tend to react to everything we encounter often perceiving minor incidents as major crises and so the question then becomes, how does this slogan think remind me to pause instead of reacting? Well, I've heard that acronym, and I'm, I'm a big uh, believer in acronyms, you know, shortening things down. Even these short slogans, I even try to distill them down. Hmm. Uh, you know, ODAT. I, I use uh, well, kind of generally for all of the slogans, UTT. I used to write it on my, on my forearm, and I could pull up my sleeve and look. And UTT means... Use the tools. Use the tools, okay. Use the tools. And these slogans are the, the key tools in the toolbox that I imagine I carry around with me every day. And, and Eric, for the benefit of somebody who's maybe not quite familiar with ODAT, that's one day at a time. One day at a time, yep. One day at a time. The book One Day at a Time is shortened to ODAT by many people. But even beyond, as simple as these, you know, one to four letter, four uh, word slogans are 
I even try to distill them down to even simpler because they're very hard to take with you and surprisingly difficult to carry around every day and remember that they're in your pocket, they're in your mind, and that they are there for a purpose. And it took years for me to realize that not only in the meetings can I find some serenity with these tools, but the point is to take them with you and apply them to our everyday lives. So UTT, and I I just go back to the Joe Pesci um, scene in the movie uh, My Cousin Vinny where he talks about the two Utes. You know, he took the two youths have come in, uh, and the judge says, the, the what? The what is that you said? The youths? So anyway, there, that little funny reference to that movie mm. uh, reminds me youths. Use the tools, youths. Mm-hmm. And uh, that helps me remember I do have tools. And, you know, I have a, I guess you probably have a separate episode somewhere on having Al-Anon slips, uh, relapses, and I had a big one about a month ago with my girlfriend, and boy, I, I looking back on it, I just thought, you know what, I just dropped my toolbox. So the slogan spilled out all over the ground, and I just stepped all over them. I didn't even turn my head down to look at them, where they were right there to to pause, to think, to not react. Uh, how important is it? Uh, I could have used any number of those tools, and they were spilled all over the ground, and I, and I trampled on them, and I'm paying the price for it. Mm. As I offended her, and she got angry, and I had to make an amends, and I did so immediately and very quickly thereafter. So you used that tool? I used that tool. That tool. To step 10 is a tool. The tools are steps. The tools are slogans. The tools are making a phone call, doing a reading. But I think I've heard the acronym is... Um, and I've actually used this very successfully. Is it, I believe the acronym for that is, is it thoughtful? Is it honest? Is it intelligent? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Mm-hmm. And when I stop to actually run through those letters, if I don't get four at least out of five, then I'll probably choose a different direction. If it's not kind, it's not intelligent, and it's not honest, and perhaps the biggest one, is it necessary? Yeah. You know, how important is it? Yeah. Going back, is it necessary for me to react or respond to this situation? And quite often when I filter it through that, as when I filter almost anything through the serenity prayer, my response changes, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I like that uh, that acronym. I have referred to it a number of times in meetings, and I knew I read it somewhere, and I finally tracked it down, and it's in uh, one of the Step 10 readings in the book Paths to Recovery, one of the uh, the members' share readings in, in the discussion of Step 10. And I guess that's an appropriate place for it to be because it's sort of about taking that spot check inventory, hopefully before we do something. Uh, I often... Unfortunately, find myself applying it afterwards and saying, oops, <laughs> need some amends here, I think, because it was not thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary, and kind. And for me, I mean, just remembering those acronyms is what also is one of the largest tools that I've taken away from now my fifth year now and on, which is to stop. Just stop. I know that's not a slogan, mm-hmm. but using think in any of its forms means pause, yeah. okay, and allow a moment, take a breath or two or five to see if there's a different response that your higher power might suggest. 
lots of readings on think in all the books. I'll just run, if you don't mind, make yeah. a short a short reading. It's yeah. a January twentieth from Odat. It says, "I cannot hurt others without hurting myself." This is a compelling reason for taking thought before I release words that might set off an angry interchange. Have I ever considered that the impulse to say something unkind comes from my own guilt and unease, which erupts in blows against others? It may be a momentary release for me, but it returns like a boomerang to increase my own discomfort. Impatience with others only generates their impatience with me. Impulsive criticism at an Al-Anon meeting can affect the unity of the group on which I depend for my help. And the reminder says, if, uh, if only I can learn to quiet my mind before I speak. I do not want to act with impatience and hostility, for I know it will react on me. It is a mistake to think that this requires self-control. Patience can be acquired by learning to let go of self-will. And the quote Jonathan Swift says, whoever is out of patience is out of possession of his soul. Hmm. Men must not turn into bees who kill themselves in stinging others. And, you know, the word think, the slogan think is not actually in that reading. But the point is to stop, slow down before reacting. And a lot of our program focuses on just that. It does. It's true. And I think another slogan that that you brought up in our discussion before the podcast is easy does it ah my new favorite yes how are you using that today i think easy does it for me has come into focus most recently through use of the 11th step it was in a meeting about a week ago i've been practicing prayer and meditation prayer for a few minutes each morning and throughout the day, I'll say the serenity prayer and say some prayers for people I love. And Some of them are as simple like as with my qualifiers, which is God bless her, insert name here. Mm-hmm. God bless her and change me. That's the prayer I use for my qualifiers. Meditation, though, is something a much more time-consuming practice of quieting my mind because I think as a lot of us, when we came in and for perhaps quite a few 24 hours thereafter years, <laughs> um, the, the problem, you know, I suffered from was again, I'll put, uh, when my eyes opened at whatever time of night, which sometimes was typically two hours after I went to bed, the hamster was strapping on the Nikes and the wheel was turning at full speed, 20, 50 conversations going on in my head all at once. Meditation, the practice of meditation, the daily practice of meditation, has found a way for me to pull that serenity that I find after practicing and exercising uh, the muscle of meditation. Uh, I can find that again throughout the day. And after all, what we're after here is to practice these principles in all our affairs. And by slowing myself down, in the morning with a concentrated effort to focus on just my breathing or just music, the singing bowls or flute music or, or even a guided uh, meditation. That for me is uh, exercising my muscle of serenity. And I can draw back on that when things get chaotic in a traffic jam or the person in front of me uh, cutting me off or doing something that would, in the past, 
incite anger, rage, uh, frustration, hostility, I can now more and more pull back up that feeling of calm. And with that calm, make a better decision. If the traffic is overwhelming, I can pull off and have some dinner. If it's uh, pouring rain and and there are a whiteout of snow, I can decide to go another day. I don't have to sit in a puddle of confusion and chaos and steal my serenity. So easy does it now is becoming a way of life for me. Uh, as I'm approaching my 12th step, I am hoping that that is the spiritual awakening that I will find there, that life doesn't have to be trying harder, pushing stronger, working a different angle to solve a problem, but just taking it easy. I used to have a tremendous amount of speeding tickets. I got them, it almost seemed like, you know, there must be a target on my car. I don't know what I'm doing, but what I was doing was trying to go too fast in life. The two enemies of serenity, uh, I've heard said, are indecision and hurry. And hurry was one of mine. I used to get out of bed like a fireman, you know. Sooner I could get my pants on, coat on, jacket, you know, drag a comb through my head, I was out the door. Mm. And seven minutes for me was, I was disappointed if it took seven minutes. My goal was five, from eyes open to out the door. My days start completely differently now, and I think I'm a better person for it. And easy does it has benefited me in so many ways, especially my relationships with other people, because they see I'm no longer the reactionary person, either in my facial expressions or words, that is unapproachable. So, love easy does it. It's my new favorite. And I think as I'm approaching, like like I said, the end of my step work, that one, for I think no coincidental reason, has risen to the top of my pool of tools. So... Hmm. Wow. I, as you were talking, I started thinking of more and more examples of using easy does it in my life, maybe not consciously, but, uh, just sort of as a new way of living that, that I've found here. And, uh, I think I'm going to work, work backwards. We've, we've had some minor crises, if you will, at work. Uh, at least some people viewed them as crises and, and one that's been going on for a couple of weeks which we're hopefully nearing resolution of, uh, certain people in the organization have gotten really upset about it and really feeling very urgent to get it fixed and this is a horrible thing and so on. And and I and a, a couple of other people are like, you know, these things happen and we can fix it and it's going to be okay. And it just, we're both working towards resolution, but I feel like I'm working towards resolution with calm, deliberate approach, and these people are working towards resolution with sort of a, a frantic panic approach. And wow, <laughs> the, the the difference in, in mood and attitude is just amazing. Another example, I recently got a uh, cervical traction unit to uh, help with some neck issues that I'm having. And so I have to, to lie with this thing on and pulling my head up for 15 minutes or so. And my first inclination is, oh, I'm going to put on a podcast or something like that to keep me occupied. 
And as you pointed out when you're talking about meditation, I need to have times of quiet and silence. And rather than viewing this time strapped in as some sort of chore, I am taking it as an opportunity to add some meditation into my life on a regular basis, which I've had trouble. You know, I start out doing meditation, and then one morning, as you say, I'm, I'm hopping out of bed to get out the door quickly, and so, well, I can't, don't have time to meditate today or whatever. Well, I need to do this to, to have comfort and reduce pain, and so it kind of forces me into a meditation time, which is pretty cool. One of the one of the times recently I played a guided meditation, a loving-kindness guided meditation, which basically includes prayers for other people and ourselves and myself in it. You know, may, may you be well, may you be filled with loving-kindness, may you be peaceful and at ease. And, and that's, a, that's a non-directive, non-pony prayer, if you will, so I used to say, I don't, don't pray for, please, God, give me a pony anymore, because I don't really want a pony. But anyway, and then you were talking about driving, and, and, and there's a place where I still have work to do. Uh, I yell at the guy in front of me at the stoplight when he doesn't get moving fast enough. I don't honk the horn, so it only annoys the other people inside the car, which is typically only me. When my wife is there, she says, you know, he can't hear you. I'm like, yeah, I know. And so I need to. That's what I'm still working on, working on it doesn't matter if I'm 30 seconds later, and maybe I won't even be, but I'll be a lot less stressed. And then I was thinking about driving in snow, because you mentioned that, and uh, a couple of times uh, I drive from Michigan east to New York State, where my parents and my sister live, and typically driving through Ohio on Interstate 90, which is right along the shore of Lake Erie. And so, especially this time of year, between now and Christmas, maybe a little later, they get a lot of lake effect snow where the wind comes across Lake Erie, which is still warm and liquid, picks up a lot of moisture, it hits the land, which is cooler and drops, it can drop you know, a couple feet of snow easily in, in one storm. So driving along there this time of year is always a little fraught. I remember one time I was driving... I don't remember what the what the occasion was, but I was driving by myself uh, to uh, to go to my parents, and it was late at night because I'd left after work, and I was most of the way through Ohio, and it just was snowing and snowing, and looked like it wasn't going to let up. And I thought, you know what? I, this it. I flashed back to driving home from college for Christmas because I went to college in Ohio, so driving along that same road, and and we would just plow through because. You know, college kids, you don't have any money, you can't really stop anywhere. And I thought, you know what, I'm an adult now, and I have a credit card, and I can stop at a hotel for the night instead of trying to push all the way through in this storm. And and in the morning, even if it's still snowing, it'll be light, and I can see where things are. Uh, And of course, in the morning, the snow had stopped, and and I had a, a much easier drive. And that might have even been before I came into recovery, but just this realization that I didn't have to keep doing things the way I had done it. I didn't have to keep pushing uh, was a, a really good thing. Uh, and Easy Does It can help me to uh, remember that just because it seems urgent, it might not be important, as you said. 
So it's, it's, these are all good slogans. Yeah, I have some other thoughts on Easy Does It and how it applies now to me uh, and, and where I see it in use is surprising. You know, the more we focus on these little things, these little spaces in between, the more, for me, is revealed the revelation of seeing them in use in nature, for instance, and in life is, for me, again, getting me closer to practicing and using these tools in all our affairs, in all my affairs. Uh, the movie that's recently come out, which is a fantastic movie uh, called Bridge of Spies. Uh, Tom Hanks is an attorney, tax attorney or something, an insurance attorney who ends up having to uh, defend a uh, Soviet spy who was captured and, you know, repeatedly throughout uh, the movie, the spy who's in custody in the U.S. is uh, obviously going to be tried for espionage and either put to death or when uh, Tom Hanks has the idea to use him as a pawn to exchange for someone the Russians have that we want back, one of our captives. Again and again, they're either standing... Uh, to face the judge or standing to face um, the counterparts at the bridge during the exchange. Repeatedly, again, Tom Hanks looks at this character. This uh, was a older gentleman, uh, mid to older, and very. he has this incredible serene look on his face, and Tom Hanks is mystified. He said, aren't you scared? Or what's going to happen to you? You know, when, when we turn you over, do you think you'll be put to death? And he said, yes, most likely. And if you stay here, you're going to be tried for espionage and probably put to death. Aren't you worried? And he repeatedly answers the same way. Would it help? Hmm. <laughs> Which takes us back to our worry episode. Right. But the point is, he's exemplifying Easy Does It. I mean, would it really help? There's a reading, I'll just paraphrase a paragraph or two from July 7th on the, on the slogan also, if you don't mind. Yeah. I will try to apply Easy Does It to every incident that might increase the tension and cause an explosion. I will try to realize that an exchange of hostile words will not help me to find the serenity I want. The reminder says, why should I react to criticism and accusation, justified or not? What can I gain by heated denials and irrational discussions? In a neurotic environment, anything can start a row, which I think means an argument, right? Yeah. And it's not like a row of corn. Okay, can start a row, an argument. I need not take part in it. I will ignore it, cheerfully, if I can. This is an excellent technique for avoiding dissension. Our calm unconcern may make the alcoholic uneasy enough to make him think seriously about finding sobriety. Uh, the quote says, To withdraw from an argument may not make you the winner, but what you have saved is your own dignity and grace. Which is a different kind of winning. Yeah, it is a different kind. It's it's my winning. I heard in a meeting about pretty early on, three years ago, um, I, my sponsor then was with me at that meeting, and he said the same thing I did after the meeting. He said, boy, one person said one phrase, and I've carried it with me ever since. And he said, I don't have to win anything today. Mm. And I, I carry that with me a lot, because I think a lot of us in the rooms are feeling like we need to win. We need to win an argument. We need to win, uh, you know, against something against someone else. Our, our qualifier usually, you know, I've heard people in a room say, well, that was a win. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the idea of not having to win, because I've learned, at least in my circumstances, that I can't win against this disease. It's like boxing with an octopus. It's just going to come at me from seven other angles when I thought I had one covered. Uh, it's just not something I want to engage in and try to go to battle with. I'm going to choose to drop the rope, not take the bait, and not enter the fight. As I said, I got no dog in this fight. And even if I did, I'll just take the dog and go home. I found this found this reading in How Elanon Works with the slogan Easy Does It. This really applies to me, and I have to, I have to read this over again. Alanon's suggested welcome explains that without the spiritual help of our program, many of us try to force solutions. When our efforts to overcome another's alcoholism get us nowhere, we resolve to try even harder. When we are impatient for an answer and no answer comes to us, we take an action at random just to feel we are doing something. As a result, our frustration mounts, our anxiety increases, we feel like failures, and we vow to try even harder. In short, our thinking becomes distorted. With this slogan, Easy Does It, Alanon suggests a simple alternative to this destructive and frustrating pattern. Sometimes, even doing nothing can be far more productive. And and that whole section there about, it didn't work, I'm going to try something else at random, I'm going to try harder, and that didn't work, so I'm going to try harder, uh, that feels so familiar to me, even though it's been... What, 13 years since I came into the program, I can still totally connect to that that attitude. And easy does it takes me out of that that cycle, that endless cycle of, how's that go? Endless cycle of frustrating something and inevitable disappointment. I don't remember the exact quote now, but um, I think that's in the step one reading and how Elanon works. Any other thoughts about slogans? How do you th- how do you view the slogans now as opposed to the sort of trite cliches that that you saw when you came in? Oh, incredibly different. I, I view them as tools, literally tools, literally a toolbox. Easy does it. Could be my screwdriver. Uh, how important is it? My wrench. Uh, one day at a time is my drill. I visualize them as tools and not as just trite sayings. And I try to imagine when I'm confronted with a situation, which of those tools might apply. I'm not going to try to uh, fix a hinge with a sledgehammer. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to try to uh, wire my speakers uh, with a wrench. You know, I'm going to find a wire dike and, or a little knife and splice the wires together. Yeah, I equated the tools at one point to my golf clubs, you know, Mm. and it was choosing the right club for the shot. You know, I'm not going to go to the tee with a putter. Easy does it. This is my putter. I can use that and very easy take a shot on the green. My sand wedge gets me out of deep trouble, and uh, that might be how important is it, you know. So I I went through that once, and when I did it, it was kind of just a funny way of looking at it, but... What was amazing was I actually counted 12 clubs in my bag. <laughs> yeah, there were 12 clubs in my bag. And there were 12 steps, and you know, yeah. 12 reappears over and over. But yeah. I just use the tools now. I use the slogans as tools. That's been the biggest change for me. I'm not just sayings. They're actual physical tools that I can carry around. If I remember that they're in my pocket, 
and I can stop and think to use them, they can save me what I've worked so hard to get, which is peace of mind and some serenity in my life. Yeah, I'm continuing the tool metaphor a little bit here. I think before I came into Al-Anon, the only relational tool that I had was a sledgehammer. Yeah. There were a lot of things that I needed to do for which that was not an appropriate tool, but it was the only one I had to pull out. Right. And as you say, now I have a screwdriver and a wrench and a pair of pliers and maybe some tweezers on occasion. There you, you go. don't have to always pull out that sledgehammer. Not every problem looks like a rock that needs to be broken or yeah. a pile that needs to be driven. They are very, very helpful, and uh, they've... They've definitely grown for me from uh, trite little sayings that I almost didn't want to admit that I used to, as you say, something I can pull out every day, every hour of every day maybe, uh, when I need them. I'm going to close with uh, the last paragraph from the beginning of the slogans chapter. Slogans serve as gentle, calming reminders that our circumstances might not be impossible or as desperate as they first appear. These concise expressions of wisdom offer quick reassurance that we really are able to cope with whatever life brings, prompting us to take constructive action and to treat ourselves and others with compassion and respect. Even when we are too new to Al-Anon or too overwhelmed by our circumstances to recall one of the many Al-Anon principles that may apply, a simple slogan can put the entire situation into perspective. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. And Eric, I think you picked some songs for us. Yeah, I chose this song because it's kind of an iconic song. I mean, I play guitar and sing, and this is one of the very first I learned, but uh, I learned it for different reasons, basically, to meet girls when I was in college. Of course. So, yeah, uh, I love the lyric, we may lose and we may win, uh, though we will never be here again. So open up, I'm climbing in. So take it easy. Just a fun song, and don't let the sound of your own wheels make you crazy. Take it easy. You know. I particularly like that, that lyric. Yeah. Um, that speaks yeah. to me. And uh, this will be available for your listening pleasure on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 131. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. Thinking back over the week, had several first step meetings in a row, partly because There were newcomers at a meeting and partly because I was in a step meeting that came around to step one. And I think my higher power is trying to tell me something about powerlessness over things in my life. And I'm not powerless over, well, I'm still powerless over alcohol, but it's not the pressing issue in my life right now. And I reflected at the meeting last Sunday about my powerlessness over, you know, the fact that my parents are getting older, that their health is declining, that they're starting to downsize their lives. And and there's some loss and some grief. They sold a little piece of property that we've had in the family since, I think, 1959 they bought it. You know, it, I spent many, many summer days on this property, and and there's some loss. But 
we're really not using it, and it's uh, the taxes on it are pretty high, and so they were able to sell it and remove complications from their life. The last time I visited them in the summer, we had to hook up the the water pump so that the uh, my sister who was staying in, in that uh, building could could have water in the morning to, to wash her face and so on. And it's a lot of work having another piece of property in another building. And so they need to be simplifying their lives. But as I said, I'm, I'm grieving the loss, and I, but I, I, I am powerless over the fact that they need to do that. And if I can accept that and, and live with that, uh, I'm going to be a lot more serene. And I can focus on the things that uh, we are still able to do and, and enjoy the time that we have together, however long or short it might be. And of course, this comes up because next Wednesday, we're driving over to celebrate Thanksgiving with them. I was powerless over the, well, not exactly, I was, after the fact, I was powerless over the fact that I had uh, booked our kids' flight from Boulder to New York for the wrong week. It's kind of like, hey, we got to book these tickets. Let's get in there. Boom, 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 boom. Wow, they're really cheap. This is amazing. Uh, well, they were really cheap because they were a week early. So I had to accept that I was going to eat the loss of of those non refundable tickets, and I was going to buy new tickets that are a little bit more expensive, about fifty percent more expensive than than what we had the first time around. And I do have a credit with a couple of airlines. One eight dollars is that's going to go a long way. Uh, the other one about a hundred dollars if I ever fly that airline, and and I just can accept that and accept my powerlessness over the fact that occasionally I make mistakes. I'm human, and it, it, uh, so it was a good reminder. Yesterday, my uh, my meeting, which uh, is normally a step meeting once a month, one of our tables uh, focuses on a tradition. In this month, it was tradition three. And I'm trying to remember the exact wording of Tradition 3, but basically it's the one that says the only requirement for membership is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a family member or friend. And I, in my mind, extend the word alcoholism to include other forms of addiction because we are affected pretty much the same, whether it's alcohol or drugs or sex, or as one person said about their ex-husband, he was addicted to himself. All of those forms of addiction make us equally crazy. And the my reflection on, on Tradition 3 was in two parts. One, that I'm really grateful for this tradition because it means that I can find Al-Anon wherever I go. While I'm visiting my parents this uh, Thanksgiving weekend, there will be a meeting on Friday that I can go to. Uh, while I was in, in Canada last summer, there was a meeting I could go to after spending a week with reasonably functional family, but still stressful. The second part of reflecting on step three is that I can use this in other areas of my life that when I come together with people for a purpose, uh, I can remember to focus on that purpose and not let our other uh, affiliations, is a word used in the tradition, not let our other affiliations uh, come into and make that that purpose uh, more difficult. And uh, the example that that I thought of uh, a few years ago, I was working with teens from my church. We were in the south side of Chicago, working for Habitat for Humanity, helping to rehab a house so that uh, uh, 
young mother and, and her children could move into it. And one of the people that we were working with had been court-ordered for community service to this. And he had some harsh things to say about those people, as he put it, who would be living in the house. And and I was able to focus on what we were there for and not let his opinions, his remarks, uh, color color my attitude and, and put me off uh, – achieving the purpose that we were there for, which was, you know, I think we were hanging some drywall and so on. Uh, and, uh, you know, that that Tradition 3, um, focusing on why we're there and and not focusing on our differences while we're there is, can be helpful in so many different circumstances. And then yesterday we had our first snow, and I took it easy and I took it easy and and there was the snow and I was like this is happening there's nothing I can do about it I'm not going to get frustrated or angry about it I'm going to slow down my driving I'm not going to yell at the people in front of me when they're going slower than I think they ought to and I had a conversation with somebody who said yeah I was on my way to work this morning and people are going 20 miles an hour like it was a blizzard or something and you know that's an attitude that I just don't have to have. That's I don't have to have that anger anymore. So recovery works in all aspects of my life. How's your week? Uh, my week was uh, great, actually. <clears throat> going back a little further than last week, we had our um, Thursday a week ago uh, public anniversary, uh, public outreach, fourth year anniversary meeting. Um, which we had about 40 to 45 attending, which I was very grateful to see to talk about how to carry the message to others and fill one more seat in the rooms. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was honored and privileged to have a guest speaker Skype in from Michigan. Uh, that would be you. Uh, it was really awesome. You were like um, Oz, you know, behind the smoking curtain uh, <laughs> with your enormous head uh, on a screen. But it was very cool. Got some great feedback from that. I had um, been leading for this month. I'm leading my 12 and 12 step group. And I, uh, when, it, when it was asked at the end of October who would like to lead, my hands shot right up selfishly uh, because it was focusing on the steps that are right in my immediate future. So I have um, some focused work to do. And I chose uh, to lead that Sunday morning 12 and 12 on steps. 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, which is exactly where I am, uh, which helps me to focus uh, more deeply, just as does this podcast on the step or the topic. Thursday was my home group uh, here in Greenwich. Topic I hadn't heard discussed much before, which was uh, honesty. Honesty. And Mm. that was a tester. You know, a lot of people struggle with that one about how to and when to and who to be completely honest with and whether withholding uh, some honesty is uh, better than releasing it in certain cases with qualifiers, but very interesting and worth uh, talking and thinking about the topic of honesty. I mean, it came up, you know, making amends and whether it would be more harmful, for instance, to do so than to not in certain cases and with honesty, uh, sometimes saying nothing than not, then you know blurting out your version or the truth uh, again goes back to would you rather be right or be happy yeah 
So that a lot of things swirled around that topic. Uh, my Saturday men, uh, Saturday morning uh, group was a good size, thirty-five, forty there as well, and that was topic. There was step one, and surprisingly done by someone, an uh, elderly man who's been in the program for probably thirty-something years, uh, who lost his son to the disease, but who learned to live with the disease. Um, the last eight years of his life, he rented a motorhome and drove across the country with his son, who. It was, uh, you know, been through multiple, multiple rehabs and still was drinking and uh, basically drank himself to death while with his father touring the country in a, in a mobile home. And mm. he had learned to accept it and deal with it and had, uh, he said, the best 10 years of his relationship with his son, who was an active alcoholic during that period of time, the last year or so or two that they toured the country together. So really powerful. And then... Um, not surprisingly and self-servingly, I had led my men's group last night, and of course, I chose the topic of slogans. Mm-hmm. In preparation, eh? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, my higher power is trying to help me out here, you know? Sure. He's trying to say, look, uh, prepare, and in preparation for your next four steps, you're going to lead the Sunday meeting on 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and uh, you have a chance to lead your men's group, and you're going to prepare for tomorrow morning's podcast with uh with spencer by talking about the slogans and getting some feedback and the point was not you know for me to control but it was to hear what other people view as a slogan they either use or would like to try to and so that was uh, that was last night and this morning i'm off to my 12 and 12 at 10 o'clock uh, to lead on step 12 moving every day just slightly closer to that spiritual awakening that's promised in that step and looking forward to it. So that was my week. Thanks, Eric. Upcoming topics include uh, Concepts 11 and 12, finishing off the series with Akilah on the, on the concepts. I'm going to talk about lying. I'm getting some, some good uh, contributions about lying for that episode. So I am looking for a co-host. If anybody's interested, give me a call or, or feedback at com. And a new topic uh, suggested by uh, upcoming co-host, the four L's, which I actually am not familiar with, so this will be uh, a good good discussion for me. These are listen, learn, let go, and love. So sounds like a, yeah, sounds cool. like that should be a nice discussion. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with feedback or questions. And Eric, how can people do that? Uh, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's slogans or any of the upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And you can find all the information about The Recovery Show at our website, therecoveryshow.com. We have notes for each episode, uh, a blog with occasional meditations. Right now I'm filling out uh, my gratitude list for 2015. Hope to get that done before Thanksgiving. I'm uh, about halfway through the alphabet at this point, so we'll see how that goes. I did think of some more this morning as... I was lying half awake waiting for the alarm to ring. It was, it was a way to, to get a little serenity, 
well, not getting up and not stressing about the fact that the alarm was going to go off in 10 minutes, you know? And I actually got up a minute before the alarm and turned it off, so I didn't have to deal with that. Anyway, off topic. In in the uh, the show notes for each episode, we include uh, links to some of the things we talk about during the episode and uh, music, uh, typically music videos for the the music uh, songs that we, we talk about in relationship to the topic. And if you'd really like to join the conversation, consider being a guest host, just as Eric is. Phone, Skype, FaceTime, lots of things work. Email feedback at com if you're interested. And Eric, you picked another song, Call Me the Breeze by John Mayer. You want to tell us about that? Sure. This song is obviously very, very well known. It's been covered by so many bands. Leonard Skinner. Uh, it was originally originally written by one of the most uh, creative and covered songwriters of all time, J.J. Cale. J.J. Mm. Uh, Cale uh, collaborated with Clapton on a lot of songs, and um, his uh, lyrics are pretty powerful and been played by many people. This version of Call Me the Breeze by John Mayer, I just like the way John Mayer sings and sounds. Uh, he's one of the artists I really enjoy. And so some of the lyrics start off by saying, call me the breeze, I keep blowing down the road. Well, now they call me the breeze, I keep blowing down the road. I ain't got me nobody, I don't carry no load. They call me the breeze, I'm blowing down the road. I ain't hiding from nobody, nobody's hiding from me. Oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. Pretty cool. bit of feedback. Uh, had an email from Meredith in Australia. She has a question. It says, I'm a recovering alcoholic of the less than variety, and I've managed to produce a 17-year-old drug addict. Hardly a surprise, but not less heartbreaking. He has returned home after a few self-will run months living out of home. Hit a bottom, we allowed him to return under a few fairly simple rules. No using on our property or in our home. Attendance at one family meal a week, you choose which one, and if you're not coming home, text us that you won't be home. No details, just won't be home. After six weeks, we have spiraled into several serious boundary violations, many beyond those above, and his sibling, father, and me are back to eggshells. I gave him a week to consider this choice and what he would choose. If you want to stay at home under the roof with your family, this can only happen if you attend a residential rehab. If this is not something you want to do, then you choose to leave. The choice is yours. He says that it's controlling, but when I breathe, he would suggest I'm controlling. I'd be curious on your opinion about the choice here. Has a real choice been provided, or is this a controlling action dressed up as choice? Of course we want him engaged, and the hole in his soul closed and in rehab. I also need to protect his younger siblings. Any insights or an episode which I could listen to? With gratitude and blessings, Meredith from Australia. You have thoughts on what uh, Meredith wrote about? So this uh, story from Meredith, boy, it rings. It's a lot of bells. My 18-year-old has been through rehabs. I counted up last week that, you know, in in denial about her condition of uh, using and drug use and whether she was an addict or not, 
I counted she has been through six separate high schools. And um, the last culminated with a three-month or a month-and-a-half rehab finally and came back to a sober high school to even finish her degree. And I've heard this story almost identically from another person in my home, uh, my men's group that is uh, in AA and has a daughter who is just out of control and gave his daughter uh, a manifesto, as he put it, of choices, two choices to stay at home and work the program and be sober or move out. It's a really tough one, especially with a 17 year old who's a minor. I, you know, at one point considered and telling my 17 year old she couldn't stay here if she's using, but uh, she didn't have a place to go. And I'm a father and she's a minor. It's really difficult. I don't have an answer. I wouldn't pretend to think that I do. I guess what comes to me is really trying to go back to the basics of boundaries and consequences, make them clear, write them down if you have to. Detachment with love. I chose one night if my, when my daughter was coming home extremely late over and over, breaking the boundary, breaking the boundary of curfew. Uh, I considered it and spoke with her. I think rather than, penalties with uh, discipline, disciplinary penalties about taking things away, her cell phone and privileges. A stern lecture, a lecture seems to have what I've heard has more benefits and produces perhaps better results. So I took her outside the porch and sat down with her and had a discussion. I said, uh, here it is. I mean, I don't want to be woken up after one o'clock. You know, the curfew is one o'clock. So the doors will be locked at one o'clock. The detachment boundary with love, part of that was, I said, well, in this box right here on the porch, there's a sleeping bag. So if you come home after one, please don't bang on the window. Don't call my cell phone. You can take that sleeping bag and you can sleep on the porch. So I I can't begin to uh, try to explain or suggest how this person would deal with this particular situation other than to keep coming back and try to find some tools for her that work. Yeah. It it is tough. I have not been in that place myself, thanks to God. But I have many friends who have been. Uh, I did send some specific uh, suggestions of podcast episodes. Uh, we have episode forty four titled "Setting Boundaries Without Controlling." Episode one hundred three is just titled "Boundaries." I'll put links to both of those in the notes for this show, or you can just go to therecoveryshow dot com slash forty four. TheRecoveryShow.com slash 103. Uh, the episode 54 titled Family of Our Dreams did touch on setting boundaries, and at this point I don't remember how much we talked about boundaries. I know one of the people in that episode uh, was dealing with a teenage child who was having issues and, and they were having to set boundaries, and, and that might have come up during our discussion. Another episode that that could be helpful is episode 43, which is the three A's, awareness, acceptance, action. I also said a little bit about how I try to try to set boundaries, which is to make it about myself and about what I accept rather than about telling the other person what to do. And I, and I like your, your, um, what you did, Eric, there with saying, look, I don't want to be awakened by you coming in late. So if you come in past, the curfew, here's a sleeping bag, you can sleep on the porch. And and that makes it about you. It, it's very hard. It's harder to argue that 
you're trying to control her when you're saying, I just don't want to be woke up in the middle of the night when you come home and, and right. bang around the house. Um, and you provided an alternative, and it reminds me of a friend of mine who his son uh, was actively using, and, and he didn't want his son living in the house, but his son had no place to live, and it was winter in Michigan, and so uh, he gave him a sleeping bag, and they had, a, I think, a we call a three-season porch with with glass windows, but not heated, and said, look, you can you can live here. Uh, I, I don't trust you to be in my house. You've stolen from me, but I don't want you lying in a snowbank somewhere and freezing to death, so you can stay here with the sleeping bag. And, you know, that's a really tough choice for a father to make. It really yeah. is. I mean, I guess there's always, um, you know, uh, the idea of an intervention or wilderness uh, if it's at that point where, you know, the person is still a minor or unwilling to get help for themselves. You know, I, I did an intervention. I don't know. Did you, have you, you mentioned at one point about doing an episode on interventions. I don't know if you ever did that. Have not because I didn't really get a lot of feedback on the, on the topic. Yeah. Well, it is an option. I used to believe that if someone was unwilling that the invent, you know, an intervention would be bound to fail. I think a lot of people kind of feel that unless someone's willing to seek help and realizes that they need help that largely these interventions are, are doomed. But what was interesting, and particularly with an adolescent, was pointed out to me by a friend uh, who's in the other program, certainly qualifies for Al-Anon in growing up in alcoholism, but has become a very preeminent interventionist and goes around speaking around the country and does interventions around the world. And he said, surprisingly, that statistic is uh, pretty much irrelevant. Hmm. However, they, however they get there however they get there, then they can see that there is a choice. Yeah. Uh, not getting uh, into a program whatsoever and waiting for them to choose may end up tragic. It actually is very little uh, to do with how they got there. It's what they do when they get there that matters. So he, you know, as an interventionist, was making the point that don't worry about whether or not they want to go. If we have to come in the middle of the night and whisk uh, a child away many, many times, they do it that way. Uh, the success is based on what happens when they go. So uh, maybe that's uh, something helpful. That That's good to hear um, because my experience with trying to intervene with my loved one who was an adult at the time uh, was not successful. Right. And, uh, the, the one time that I forced her to go into rehab, uh, she came out after a month and drank. And, you know, it. <laughs> that was the last time I tried it. And the other thing that I, I sent her, uh, there's a, a couple of books which we have links to on the books page on our website. Uh, one is written by a father and the other is written by his son about the son's addiction to methamphetamines. And the, the books are called Beautiful Boy, which is written by the father, and Tweak, which is written by the son. And it was really... Um, eye-opening for me to see the same story from the two perspectives and to see the father uh, attempting uh, to get his son into uh, sobriety and the son, when he was in the depths of his addiction, and this is my memory of, of reading, uh, he didn't see the problem. He was He was just fine, even though 
when he describes his life, I look at that and say, why would anybody want to live like that? But he was very resistant to recovery. And my understanding is he eventually did after several interventions and and I think finally one where he voluntarily went into to rehab. I think he finally did find uh, sobriety and recovery. But it those two books uh, were they were hard to read as a parent, um, but I felt that they helped me to understand what was going on uh, in in those lives and and how. Um, the father's attempts to uh, to force recovery may or may not have helped. And I think in the long run they did, but it was a really rough ride. So let me take a look at those books. I'm sure your library has them. Thanks. The books that you mentioned are, I think, great. I might pick them up myself. When my daughter was away uh, at a wilderness for three months in Hawaii, she was working on a farm, and uh, the book that they gave her to read... I got a copy while she was out there, and I read it myself, and it's really an amazing book. Very hard read, but uh, for those of us living with an adolescent or a minor in recovery, I think it's worth a look, and it's called Come Back, and it's by an author named Claire Fontaine. Uh, She's also been on a tour. She was touring and speaking with her daughter and herself, who's now sober. I would just like to throw that out there, the title of the book, Come Back, by Claire Fontaine. Okay, thanks. I'll look, that, I'll look for that. We had a voicemail from Pat. Hey, Spencer. Um, this is Pat from the West Coast. I really wanted to thank you for using some of your best of podcasts when you're unable to make a new one. I really, really like them. They're just so helpful, and it gets me listening to ones that it take me a long time to work through all of the podcasts, and so it, it gets me listening to to special one sooner than I would otherwise. Um, I really love the one on step two that you posted a while ago. It was really helpful. Um, you know, I've been in Al-Anon for a while, and sometimes it's really difficult to know how to speak to someone who's new. And I, I loved hearing the co-host um, commenting on interpreting a higher power and different ways of thinking about a higher power. I really like the idea that somebody said of, of a higher power being whatever helps you be more sane at this particular moment, you know, and I just, that was great. Um, on a related note, I, I wanted to give you a different perspective on something you mentioned in the recent gratitude broadcast. It sounded like you felt it was um, important in your relationship with your higher power that you be grateful for not only the alcoholic in your life, but also for alcoholism itself. And I, I don't think that's mentioned anywhere in the conference approved literature. Um, for me, my higher power is a is a loving God and one that wouldn't intentionally inflict pain on humans in order for them to learn a lesson. I'm grateful for and love the alcoholic in my life. I'm really grateful for Al-Anon, but I think there are other ways to learn the same lessons that we learn in Al-Anon without someone necessarily suffering from this disease. And alcoholism is like it's just too damaging and destructive for me to be grateful for it. Um, I don't know that I have to have a reason for its existence in the world. I don't have to have an answer for that. Um, I just don't think I have to believe that my HP intentionally afflicted a loved one with it. Um, as they say, you know, take what you want and leave the rest. Um, I waited a couple weeks um, to send this voicemail because it's, it's a real difficult one for me to write. 
um, I want to be respectful of you, but I thought it was important to voice a different way of looking at it. Thank you so very much, Spencer, uh, again, for all the service you do. I'm just amazed by all the time you put in with both the podcasts and all your meetings and the website. So take care and happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pat, for calling. And uh, I'm never offended at getting another voice in, another point of view, because that's how I learn. And if I never heard something that was different from my own voice, it would be a very sad world. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Tamlin did. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever way you give, including just listening to us. We are here for you. And our last uh, song selection for this uh, slogans episode is Think by Aretha Franklin. And again, you can listen to all of our song selections at therecoveryshow.com slash 131. And I just, I mean, there's obvious connection to the slogan think that we talked about. I just wanted to read a few of the lyrics. You better think, think, think about what you're trying to do to me. Yeah, think, think, think. Let your mind go. Let yourself be free. And I see in those two lines, like two different aspects of the uh, of the slogan. One is, before I open my mouth and say something hurtful, you know, think about what I'm trying to do to another person. Um, I should think about it and maybe maybe not say it. And the second line that when I do this, I actually free myself. I free myself from dirtying my side of the street. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time. <laughs>